your Bible or a phone or some device, you'll be looking at the Scripture with us this morning. We'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. Um, thank you all for hanging in for, for the ride through Ecclesiastes over the last couple months. Um, that, that is kind of our um, what we're typically doing is we're working through a book just week in and week out, chapter by chapter, um, as long as it takes us. And so we will finish Ecclesiastes this morning. Um, if you're looking for it, um, if you get to uh, Psalms or Proverbs, go a little bit to the right. If you get to Isaiah, Jeremiah, go a little bit to the left. And you'll find it nestled in there. It's not a very long book. Um, I think one of the things Ecclesiastes has done is, is this Old Testament kind of wisdom book is maybe it's given us some more language um, for the fall. And when we say the fall, right, we're talking about in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve sin, they rebel against God, and because of that, um, death enters the world, sickness enters the world, things get broken, um, we, we, they get removed from the garden, right? There's a separation between God and man now, right? And so we currently are living in a broken world. And there's a day where Jesus is going to restore things and make everything right, where he will split the sky and return for his people. And that this broken world will be no more. It will be redeemed and restored fully to its creation and created intent. But right now we live in between those, right? In between the created perfection um, and harmony that they saw in the garden and before the return of Jesus, we live in this broken middle. And Ecclesiastes, as much as any book of Scripture, just gives us some language for it. It feels like the emotion is appropriate um, the angst of the book, right? Some of you have really been able to say, yes, I, I, I feel that. I feel that. It, it's kind of a, it's an, been a, an emotive book because it hits on the exception, right? That we know that in this world, as Ecclesiastes has taught us, the, the race doesn't always go to the fastest one, right? It should, but it doesn't, right? That, that someone who builds and has a great legacy um, that they want to leave to someone is often followed by a fool, right? Not someone wise, right? That, we, that we've seen that the, the good can die young, that there is injustice where justice should be, that, that people can live great lives and then be quickly forgotten, and that as one generation comes and cycles through, Right, they die, and what happens? Another generation comes and cycles through. Right, the, the, the world just keeps on moving. And so the question kind of becomes is, like, what's the point? Like, why, why have a legacy? Why work hard? Why, um, why have power? Why seek pleasure? Why have money? Why have vocation? Like, why do we do anything? It's kind of the point of Ecclesiastes is going... Why do we do any of these things we do if the specter of death is hanging over us at all times? Right? Ecclesiastes has basically said, hey, would you look up for a second, look above you? Yeah, that's a guillotine. Now enjoy your life. Right? And you're thinking if you were literally under, like knowing there was a, a guillotine above you at all times, it would be hard to relax. So at what point is it coming down? When am I going, like, can I enjoy anything? And so Ecclesiastes is saying, listen, Death is coming for you. It is. You can pretend like it's not, but it is. So in light of that, can we now live backwards? Can we live in light of the certainty? Now, we don't know what all is going to happen in our life, what circumstances are going to come, if it's going to feel 
right and just, or if it's going to feel like we're constantly living the exception. But what Ecclesiastes has done is it's made it clear to us that any pursuit that we have, anything that we're pursuing and looking for satisfaction in it, aside from Jesus, is futile. That it is smoke that we can see, that we can try to chase, that we can try to grasp, and we can't hold on to it. It will not give us the satisfaction that we're looking for. And because we're chasing it, right, and we can give our life for it, but it's not, it's not satisfying, and death is coming, that Ecclesiastes is often looked at as simply a pessimistic book, right, of like, hey, you told me I'm going to die, and you told me nothing's going to satisfy, appreciate it, right? Like, thanks for that. And yet, there's more to it, I hope, that we've seen as we, as we try to summarize this morning and end here in chapter 12. In, in Genesis 3.19, I've already referenced the fall. We see this verse. Um, I did not mark it. As God is punishing Adam and Eve, right, telling them what is going to occur, he says this in, in verse 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken for your dust, and to dust you shall return. Right? That our separation from God means that death has entered the world, that we will return to dust. But Ecclesiastes 3.11 reminds us that God has put eternity into the hearts of man. Right? That those two verses summarize the angst that we feel in this world. That we know death is coming, and yet we feel within us that it shouldn't be that way. It's why funerals feel wrong. Like it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this way. Because there's eternity put within us because God has meant for us to live forever with Him, and death is, a, is an enemy and an interrupter of that because of our sin, because of our rebellion. And so chapter 12 is going to end looking at death. You'll pick up in verse 1. Remember this. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, the strong men are bent, the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dim. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are also they are afraid also of what is high, hares are in the way, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the street. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth. Here, Genesis 3 there. As it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. So it feels initially like Ecclesiastes is going to end like it begun. Right? Good luck, right? Like that's just kind of the, the sense that we have. And yet, if if you are a person who appreciates poetry, um, kind of a motive language, as we walk through those verses, maybe you begin to get a sense 
right, of just uh, of despair. Right? He tells them, I want you to remember in the days of your youth that death is coming for you. And listen to the imagery he gives. Verse 3. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. Talk about their hands. And your hands and your arms are not as strong as they once were, and they begin to tremble. And you're not able to keep and to do all the things that you used to be able to do. The strong men are bent. Your legs and your back that used to do the brunt of the lifting and the work no longer will do exactly what you wanted them to do. And the grinders cease because they are few. Right? Those teeth aren't doing what they used to. You can't eat the steak that you want to, right? Right? Talked about the teeth. The grinders are few. And in days before dental care, right? Like it was more often than not that you weren't eating all the things you wanted to at the end of your life. Your teeth weren't what they used to be. Those who look through the windows are dim. Your eyesight is not what it used to be. The doors on the street are shut, right? I can't quite hear what I used to be able to hear. So we see, right, like that your hands aren't what they are, your, your strength isn't what it is, your, your teeth, your eyes. He's talking about what old age does to us, what the end of life does, right? No, nothing that we long for, nothing that we want. And he's, he's talking about it in regards to a house falling into disrepair, right? That this house is not what it once was, just like our bodies are not what they once were. So the person rises at the sound of a bird. It's not because they're hearing the bird. It's because the birds are up early, and they're up early because, well, they can't sleep. Right? Like it, it, it's, it's kind of the frustration of old age. And it continues then with some of the fears that we have about being an elderly person. Verse 5, they're afraid of what is high. Why? They're afraid of falling, right? Because falls do more damage now. Terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, and almond tree, when it blossoms, is white. It's talking about vanity, about hair here. Like, I'm not going to look like I used to look. My beauty is going to fade. The grasshopper drags itself along. So this grasshopper is, is broken now, right? And where once, right, you hear folks talk about the, the energy and vitality and, and young kids all the time, like, man, I wish I just had, I could bottle up their energy and take it, right? Because they're bouncing off walls, they're jumping off things, right? Like they're hitting um, concrete walls and just like, I'm good, and, and everything's fine, right? And you're like, man, I got hurt getting out of the chair, right? Like it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel fair. And it's like the grasshopper is meant to spring and to be not really catchable. And it says a grasshopper that's dragging itself along isn't what the body is meant to, right? You see it and you're like, it's, something's wrong, something's broken there. And so as it's talking about, right, that, that they don't see as well, they don't hear as well, they're afraid of falling, they're not able to sleep, their beauty is fading. The grasshopper itself drags itself along and desire fails, right? Um, that, that's a, the euphemism you think it is, right? That, that your desire um, for your spouse, right? And your ability to do what you need to do in that regard fails, right? It's not a pretty picture, right? And he's saying, and all these things are coming, and then you die, right? Like, 
like, man, you are just not letting the, like, the hits just keep on coming. Right? Because when you're young, injury happens, you bounce back. There's quick recovery. And not only is there a quick recovery, think about the pride in which we recover. You just assume you will. I sprained an ankle, I'll be fine. I have surgery, give me four days, I'll be back. At, right? Like, you just, you just bounce back quickly and easily. And the older folks get, setbacks become more permanent. Maybe they don't come back to the same percentage that they once were. Or maybe they get to the point where there is no further improvement. It, there is, this is as good as it's going to be, and it's only going to get worse from here. Right? Like He's talking about the reality of the life that we have and what death and old age do to us. Listen, all of you have either experienced this are experiencing this, are watching someone that you love experience this, have watched someone you love. Like, we're not immune from this. Uh, several years ago, I woke up on a Saturday morning and I didn't know what day it was. Like, didn't know what year it was, and I was in this fog that I couldn't come out of. And so after I asked Carmen for like the 17th time what day it was, so I think we're going to take you to the hospital. And so we're driving down Hobart and looking at a, a restaurant in town that's been abandoned for years. I'm like, oh, when did they close? And it's like she speeds up, right? Like, um, and so we get out there, and they start doing CAT scans, um, checking me out. And uh, I called Paul. And it was a Saturday. And I said, hey, um, I'm out at the hospital. I'm fine. But you might just start working on a sermon. But I, I plan on preaching tomorrow. I'll be fine. Harmon steps out in the hall. Hey, man, you're, you're preaching tomorrow? Because he doesn't know what day it is. He doesn't know what book we're in. Like, just count on it. You're preaching. And so the ER doc comes in um, and just kind of in, in, a, in a moment of, hey, we don't really know what's going on, but we saw some things. He, he throws out a potential diagnosis that it might be that would have zapped uh, my strength, that would have zapped my mind um, over the course of time. And there's only a couple times in my life where I can vividly remember Carmen's face, like it's like seared into me. Um, all of them except this one are when I did something wrong. Um, but um, I just realized that. All of them are that. <laughs> um, except this one. And she was sitting like right here. I'm here. The doctor's speaking to me. And he says, hey, we, we think it might be this. And I, I can, I'm watching her face, and I just see this look of like horror and panic. And she quickly pulls it out, right, and is okay. And I just realized, oh man, this is potentially a big deal. And ended up being in the hospital uh, for a little over a week. Um, it turns out it was a, a super random, one-time global amnesic event with no long-term complications, no long-term diagnosis. Like, I'm fine. But as, I'm, as we're trying to figure that out over the course of a week and a half, I'm realizing, hey, if, if it's what the doctor initially said is true, like, my strength is going to go. Like, I'm not going to be capable. And I'm looking at, like, my young kids, and my memory's going to go. And, and so if I pride myself on any two things physically, one would just be that I'm strong and, like, I'm capable, and that my mind is sharp. Um, and, and so it, it, it'll, it's what allows me to remember your name. It's what allows me um, to preach. It's what allows me to do a lot. And so I'm thinking, oh man, God, what am I going to do? 
And what I realized in those moments was that um, I was relying on myself. And a lot of what I do just naturally, I'm relying on myself. I'm not relying on God because, right, I'm, I'm just, and yet he's given me these, these things that are gifts, but in order to rely on him, not on myself. And so as, as I was reading through Ecclesiastes 12 this week, it's like, like I, I feel like God gave me a, a taste of this before my body actually responds like this. But that's what he's calling us to. He's saying, hey, in your youth, in, in your young days, you need to look out at those you love who are currently suffering from this and be honest that that will one day be you. If you get the luxury of living to be that old, it'll be you. Listen, because of death, and because this is the end, right? Like as we, what we're headed towards, it doesn't feel extraordinarily positive. And because we're afraid of what it might mean, Isaiah 53, 6 becomes true. So all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Right? Because we've now, we're in a broken world. It's terrifying to us. We're like, we're all going to die and you just kind of scatter. And some of you, well, I'm going to, well, then I'm going to get all the pleasure I can. And others, I'm going to get all the power that I can. Well, I'm going to get all, right? And we just fill in the blank and we're chasing smoke. And Ecclesiastes is trying to say, no, 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 no. I understand why you're afraid. I understand why you're chasing all these things. They're not going to satisfy you. Please stop and consider that it's not going to end well for you. So yes, death is coming, but this isn't the response. This isn't the answer. And so he drives us back to verse 1. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Why does he remind, ask us to remember our Creator? He's telling us a couple of things. One, you're not the Creator. You are not the Lord of your life. You're not as in, as in much control as you believe you are. Because you were created, it means there's someone who had a purpose for you, an intent for you, a role for you. And so you can fight this life and be frustrated constantly, or you can accept the terms that have been laid out for us. That you have a good God who has created you and set you forth on a path. And there's going to be a lot of smoke that's going to tempt you to chase it. But I'm telling you, look at your Creator. Let's, let's pick up. We'll tie these together in just a moment. Verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They're given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making of many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep His commandment, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, and every secret thing, whether good or or evil. So after this, like this poem on death, he brings it quickly to an end, and he tells us, "Fear God." Like you want to know how to summarize Ecclesiastes, fear God, 
Because in fearing God, you are submitting to Him. You are showing trust to Him and you are recognizing that He is God and that you are not. Right? It's going back to recognize your Creator. Recognize that there's a purpose and a plan and an intent. Right? That the world is broken, but that you have been made and your life has value because you were made in the image of God. And so we fear Him by submitting to Him, by trusting Him, by recognizing Him. The, right? Fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. Because we're recognizing who He is. And He continues, right in verse 13, So the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep His commandment. How do you know that you're submitting and trusting God? You obey Him. Right? We, we think about this in regards to our children. Right? When they give lip service to us and then don't do what you've asked them to do, you're not going, you fear me, that's good. Or you're obeying me. Thank you. Right? Like you're going, you're you're saying the right thing. You're not doing it. You don't, you're not seeing this relationship correctly. For us today, we can voice the correct things about God. And if we're not obeying him, it's like our children flapping their gums at us. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And they're doing anything other than God is this, God is that. Here's what he wants for us. I'm not going to do it, but I know it. It's like the fear of God means that we submit to him. We recognize his authority. We trust him. And then we obey him with our heart and our actions aligning. Our submission and our obedience reveals that we trust him. And so when his word comes against what we actually want and we submit to it, even if it's a little bit begrudgingly, we're saying we trust you, God, so we'll do it. Because maybe I'm wrong about this. Very likely I'm wrong about this, and you're not. And so when we ask our children, hey, trust me, I know you don't like it, you don't see all of what's going on here, but will you trust me that I'm a good authority over you, that I have good character, and you can trust me that I see more than you, and one day you'll understand. We're like, yeah, we get that. When God asks it, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not a child. Don't talk to me like this. I know what I'm doing. And then we go and do our own thing. Ecclesiastes is trying to remind us, if you say you know God, you obey God. If you say you know God, then you submit to Him. If you say you know Him, then you recognize His authority. And He reminds us in verse 14 as it ends, for God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, good or evil, Saying, listen, in this world we know there's injustice. In this world we know not everything will be made right in the way that we want it to. Not everything will be seen for as good as it is, and not every evil thing will be punished like we want it to be. Right? It's why there's injustice in the world. He says there will be a day where you will stand before God, and everything will be known, and everything will be dealt with. And potentially this morning that creates anxiety or fear in you. I don't know that I want that. That's terrifying to me. Others of you are going, hey, there's some folks who they need their stuff to come out, and I want that to happen. And you feel, you feel hopeful about this. But as chapter 12 began with a creator, it's important for us to notice here in verse 11, we have a shepherd. They're given by one shepherd. When we think about a shepherd... Right? Creator sometimes feels distant. It feels big. It feels other than. Like he, he had to make us. 
A shepherd feels near, close, intimate. So there's a shepherd who's with us, who's among us. We think about John 10, right, where Jesus says, listen, I'm, I'm the good shepherd. And you begin to think of what does that mean and what means that he's God with us. He's Emmanuel, like that he's walking with us in the muck and the mire of this life. Sheep recognize their shepherd's voice. Right? And he sees and knows them. That's why he, he, he would say, I, hey, I brought in the 99 and there's one that's gone. Well, because I know them, I know the one's gone. So I go after it. And when I speak, they know me and they trust me and they follow me. They know that I'm taking them to good food and to good water. Like We have a shepherd who knows us, who's with us, who's taking us back to the Father, who's restoring us to our place as adopted sons and daughters of the King. And one of the things that he does to get us there, verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed. Right, A goad is a stick right, that has something sharp on the end. So as the shepherd is, is leading, or right, and one wants to step out of line, it's like, no, 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 no. I know that it hurt just a little, but there's a cliff there and you're going to die. Right, so stay here. Trust me. Oh, no, no, that, that, if you eat that, it'll kill you. So let's, let's come back over here. Oh, that path over there is not where we're going, so you'll be alone. Come on. Right? And so the, what he's saying is Ecclesiastes, these hard sayings, this, this putting our own mortality in front of us, the reality of this life, what he's saying is this, are the goads that the good shepherd is using to keep us moving towards the Father, the place where we belong. Right? Because Isaiah 53, 6 says, like sheep, we have all gone the way that we wanted. And we have scattered. The good shepherd is coming back in and is using the reality of this world, the hardness of this world, the suffering of this world, and is saying, I'm bringing my flock together and we're going somewhere. We're going there together. First Peter chapter 2 says this, For to this, this is verse 21, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his step. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Ecclesiastes are goads in the hands of a good shepherd who has already defeated our enemy. And he's saying, you're chasing smoke, and you're never going to be satisfied in it. You're never going to find what you're looking for. But you trust me? that I'm taking you where you belong. I'm the shepherd and the overseer of your soul, and I have done what you could not do. I have lived a completely perfect and obedient life. And I've died the death that you deserve. And I've defeated sin and Satan and death. So the noose above you, the guillotine above you, it's gone. Because now when death comes for a believer, it's your faith being made sight. Death is simply the door into where we belong for all time. 
he's changing it for us. And so, because of that, because John 10 says he lays down his life on behalf of the sheep, because he's defeated our enemies, when Solomon most likely writes, verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God, keep His commandments, it feels religious, for this is the whole duty of man. It feels heavy, right? But because death has been defeated, because Jesus has empowered us, then this is what becomes true. This is First Corinthians 15, verse 58. This is what is what is true for us. Therefore, my, be, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He's saying that in Jesus, He's not smoke. He is solid ground that we can stand on. Your life has meaning and significance because death is no longer our enemy. And so now our life is not religious duty, it is delight because we know Jesus. And it means that not that all of life doesn't have meaning, that everything is vanity, it means that everything has meaning. All of it does. Because the way that you handle your marriage, the way that you spend your money, the way you pursue your neighbor, the way you mourn with those in grief, right? all of these things, that your work ethic, your integrity, are saying, I am trusting God in this. If He's given me a role, a commandment, something to do, I'm going to do it because I'm submitting to Him. And so now, when I sin against my wife, and now I come to her and confess that and repent, right? it's because Jesus has pursued me when I was wrong, when I was sinful. Right? When, when, when I don't look to pile up all the money and all the houses and all the things in this life, but instead live to be a servant, it's because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And it's told us right, that all of these things are going to burn up anyway. So let's live a life about people. Let's be generous. Right? It changes where everything has meaning. Because what Paul will tell us in 1 Corinthians 3 is this. There'll be a day where we'll be judged. We'll stand before God. And he he paints this picture of like a doorway. And he says, you're going to walk through it with your life, right? You're walking through it. And if your life was built on smoke and on vanity and on doing things that you wanted, but you trusted Jesus for your salvation, he's like, you're going to come through with nothing. And you're going to be tinged by smoke. You'll have your salvation, but you'll have shown that your life was for naught. That you didn't really trust He's like, but if you walk through having trusted Jesus, whether everyone saw it or not, whether everyone knew it or not, you're going to walk through and it's going to be shown to be pure and good and right. And you're going to have crowns to lay at the feet of Jesus because your life was spent trusting Him and submitting to Him and obeying Him and knowing Him and pointing people to Him because Jesus had rescued you and had equipped you and has given you His Spirit. And so because of that, we can begin to see glimpses of the restored kingdom in this life. Listen, when there's a leader you really like, who seems full of integrity and of justice, you like it because it's what King Jesus is going to be like in fullness. When you see someone who's super generous, the reason you like it and you're, um, you're, you're filled like with hope by it 
is because Jesus is generous. Because God did not withhold anything from us, right? He gave us what we needed in Jesus. So church, here's where we're going to end Ecclesiastes. You are free to enjoy the good things in life. I'm free to enjoy the fact that I currently have a good mind and a strong back. I'm, I'm, I'm able to enjoy those, but as soon as I begin to try to hold on to them, like they're not gifts, but they're mine, and they're welled up within me, they're vapor, and I won't be able to hold on to them. So we can receive friends as good gifts. We can receive marriage as a good gift. We can receive children as a good gift. We can receive, right, all, we can receive travel, and all these things as good gifts, but as soon as we make them primary, they will become dust and smoke and vapor in our hands. Because the only thing that is solid, the only thing that will last is Jesus, His Word. So you're free to enjoy. Your life has meaning. You don't have to have all the answers. And we can trust the character of God who is our Good Shepherd and who will use goads and discipline to get us on track to know the Father. Believe in Ecclesiastes. The fool will say, there is no God. Or I've got this. The wise will say, I know my role. I submit to King Jesus. And I will follow him and I will trust him in whatever circumstances this cruel world can throw at me. He is sufficient. I will not be alone and I will not be forsaken. Would you see him as that this morning? Respond to him as that then Ecclesiastes will have played the role of goad that we needed it to. And we'll continue to need it to. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come knowing that we have all been the sheep that were astray. All of us. We're dependent upon your life, your death, and your resurrection for us. Lord, we know some this morning are still astray. And we would ask that you would call them, that they would hear your voice calling them to trust and to submit and to have a fear of you that would lead them into life everlasting. Lord, that we would, we would see that laying down our life means we actually gain it. God, for some of us right now who are, know you, we trust you, but our life would, would be burned up in, in an instant. God, would this be the goad that we need to live a life that trusts you, that submits and obeys, so that we would have worship to honor you with one day when we will inevitably stand before you. God, for those of us who wonder what, what value is there in life, would Ecclesiastes remind us that everything has value and meaning? And would we stand solid on the rock of Jesus who is our wisdom? Lord, we need you. We ask you to speak to our hearts and to our minds. God, that we would not mentally check off that we've done Ecclesiastes, but we would allow it to continue to play the role that it does in Scripture, of keeping us in check, keep us in line, goading us when necessary, because we have a shepherd who is with us, who sees us, who knows us, and we're safe with. Lord, we worship you as such this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.